0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this edition of Around the Ladder Podcast. Around the Ladder is a production of the University of Tennessee Pride of the Southland Band Alumni Council in conjunction with the University Advancement Office and WUTK, the UT Campus Radio Station. I'm Ron Bowling, a graduate of the University of Tennessee, and shall I say, a four year letterman of the Pride of the Southland Band, and I'll be your host along with Brian Hardy, Director of Advancement here at the University of Tennessee, will be your host for this edition of Around the Ladder. Joining me on the podcast today is Dr. Donald Ryder, who, Dr. Ryder, it seems odd for me to say, is the former director of the Pride of the Southland Band. Dr. Ryder, welcome. Thank you. So, Dr. Ryder, before we learn more about you and your experiences, as director of the Pride, for those listeners who may not know, tell us about the phrase and the name of our podcast, Around the Ladder. What does that mean, and how is that significant to the prior of the Southland Band?
1: Well, around the ladder is a phrase. It's at the conclusion of rehearsal, and this goes back over 50 years ago when Dr. Julian was here, and he would, at the end of rehearsal, the drum major, or he would say around the ladder, and that was, you come in around the ladder for announcements, and uh That tradition continues today, and uh, it doesn't matter if uh, we have homecoming and you call the alumni, everyone understands what Around the Ladder means. You don't have to explain it. Well, that's
0: great. For our listeners who may not be acquainted as much with the band, that's a good background to let them know that we're going to be Around the Ladder today talking to you and learning more about your experience with the Pride. So I understand you received degrees from Bowling Green State University and then the University of Iowa. Tell us what's your background, where are you from, and tell us more about your training uh, both at Bowling Green
1: State and Iowa. Well I grew up, I'll start there, in a little town of population a thousand and it's still a thousand and you might as well say I grew up in Mayberry. Uh, If you drive to that town if I went there today, there's old guys sitting out in front of the gas station, and they still know who I am when I pulled in there. And they're just sitting there watching the world go by. And uh, it was just, they, there was one stoplight in town. They actually took it down recently, so there's not even a stoplight there. So uh, it's, a, it's a quaint little town, but a wonderful place to grow up. And so, But anyhow, growing up there, and then I started in the fifth grade in, on Cornette, and then in sixth grade, I think it was because I was the biggest kid in the band, that he said, you need to play the tuba. So I switched to tuba and then took lessons and then uh, went on to study at Bowling Green State University, which I happened to be, um, the, the president there named me, it's probably like in '09 the distinguished alumnus from there. And uh, I had to laugh because when I was inducted, um, uh, there was a comedian. Well, the, the man that, that invented Adobe Acrobat Reader, uh, was inducted along with me and so was the actor Tim Conway who used to be on the Carol Burnett show. Wow. And I told the president, I said, whatever, I do not want to follow him to the podium to have to speak because he's a nut. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, he passed away uh, from Alzheimer's here a, a year or two ago. But, uh, but anyhow, I went on then to become a high school band director in Troy, Ohio and uh, built a very fine program. And while I was there, we uh, I was very fortunate to be named the, the best high school band director in the country. Wow. And, uh, and uh, so I received an award for that. And uh, from that point on, I had to laugh because uh, the director of bands at Iowa approached me and he said, have you ever thought about moving on to do your doctorate? And I said, not really. I had been doing my master's at Ohio State. And he said, why don't you come out here? You don't even have to audition. You've proven yourself. Just walk in the door, and so I took I, I took the chance and I went to Iowa, and I I was there for uh, a couple of years and did my doctorate. And then the they were they fired the marching band director at Iowa while I was there, and I I was kind of caught off guard. The director of school music summoned me to his office, and I walk in there and there's the director band sitting in the office. He says. Uh, you can't tell anybody this, but we're going to fire the marching band director, and we'd like you to stay and do it as the interim director of the Iowa Hawkeye Marching Band. And I said, wow. And so I'd already had five interviews set up across the country, University of Oregon, all over the place. One included Sam Houston State. And, uh, you know, if I was going to stay at Iowa, it was for one year interim, even though it was a Big Ten job. But what was cool about this is when I was out, interviewing at all these other universities, they had already spoken to the folks at Iowa and they said, look, if you don't wanna hire him, he's ours. Wow. So it gave me a little leverage. But anyway, I went to Sam Houston State and uh, I walked in the door and it was a unique position because I was the director of athletic bands. Uh, Dr. Gary Souza, who was here at the university, he was the director of the wind ensemble and it was a different job it's kind of like what they're going to now with this new position. But um, uh, I walked in the door, and there were only 96 kids in the marching band. And I remember I, I, I was like, this is sad, but I had to build their pride. And um, what we did is we, I just got them to feel good about themselves and invest in the program. And we went down to the University of Houston, our opening game, and they had like 350 kids in their band, and we had 96, and that little 96-piece band blew them off the field so much that right after halftime, the president of Sam Houston State walked down out of the press box, down in the field, shook my hand, he says, I need to see you in my office on Monday morning. So I went to his office. I thought, oh, God, he's gonna fire me, and I walk in there, and he said, uh, young man, I've never been so proud, and he said, uh, we're gonna boost your pay and they gave me like a twenty thousand dollar pay raise and uh and it just this the the second year I was there we went from ninety six kids to almost two hundred and then the third year we had over three hundred in the band and so a lot of the kids that had quit, come back and then a lot of it was just I went out and recruited really hard and everything. But Texas my wife did not like it in Texas. Uh it was hot. I mean I remember one uh, July, it was over a hundred degrees every day. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I didn't care for it. And, uh, and then Tennessee job came open and, uh, Gary Souza had left Sam Houston state as the wind ensemble director. He came here and he called me on the phone. He says, you know, can I get you to talk you into coming to Tennessee? And I said, well, well, we'll come up and look at it. And, and that's kind of where it went from there. And I've been, I was here for 23 years. Wow. You came to Tennessee
0: right after the national championship in 1999. So what was it like coming from Sam Houston State to an athletic department? And uh, uh, the band is such an integral part of that, that athletic department that's on top of the world in football.
1: Yeah, I, I remember when I interviewed here, it was with Coach Dickey. And I look here on the wall. I, I was looking at this. This is the 72 football team. And that's my good friend, Gary Wyatt, Mm -hmm. who was one of the football coaches. And Gary and I, uh, he was sitting in on the interview when I interviewed with Coach Dickey. And he said, well, when you're not doing this band directing thing, what do you do? I said, well, I love to fish. And at that point, it was game on. Gary Wyatt and I became best friends and fishing buddies. And, uh, you know, that that kind of built a friendship. But uh, we, it was a great time, you know. um, I built a lot of friendships in the athletic department. Uh, you know, when I announced my retirement, one of our former associate ads, who's now the AD at East Carolina University, um, I think that's where you're from, aren't you, Brian?
2: It, it is, yeah.
1: John Gilbert, and he sent me a note congratulating me. And uh, you know, I still I had lunch here not too long ago with Coach Fulmer, and I just stay friends with a lot of people, and and uh, you know, I built those bridges and. <laughs> You know, that's one of the
0: other questions I had is the band is part of the school of music, but there's such a strong relationship because the band supports so many teams. There has to be a strong relationship with the athletic department. How, How did you build those bridges and maintain those relationships, being a part of the school of music, but also supporting the athletic department so much? Well...
1: To be quite honest with you, I felt probably more in touch with the athletic department than I did the School of Music. Mm -hmm. They were closer friends. Not that I built or burnt bridges, but it's just I I did so much with them. You know, on my final concert uh, back this spring with the Wynn Ensemble, uh, there were several members of the athletic department that attended that. And that was very dear to my heart that, you know, we... That it was more than just a working relationship; it was a friendship. So it's, uh you know, for people to go out there and to just look at it as a job. Uh, my friendships were more important than than the position. And and you know, I remember when I first came here to Tennessee, and I remember especially because I'll be honest with you, it wasn't easy when I uh, took over as director of bands. I, I inherited a mess really.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. You know, you walk in your office, you walk out of your office one afternoon and you're the assistant director of bands and you walk in the next day and there's a sudden leadership change. So, tell us what that was like. Uh, you know, you just referred to you 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 kind of inherited a mess. What was it like with that sudden leadership change? Sounds like you had a similar thing at in Ohio, and then you had a similar thing in Tennessee. So how are those alike and different, and how do you navigate that?
1: Well, it's kind of interesting. The other day, my wife and I over dinner were talking about, she said, how come you always got thrown into something that you had to <laughs> pull it up? You know, it wasn't like you just walked in and maintained, but you had to rebuild or recruit or whatever. And I said, I don't know. I guess that's the challenge. But Uh, It was very challenging on that morning. I'll never forget it. I go in and at 9 a.m. I got called to the provost office and uh, the dean and the provost were sitting there and and they said, uh, there's a lot that's going to happen today and we need to know right now. I mean, this is exactly what happened. We need to know right now. Will you take over the leadership? And I didn't know what's going on, but I said, well, yeah, I'm not gonna let the ball drop. And, and so that's how abrupt it was. It wasn't like, wow. uh, go home and think about this and let me know. It was like, we need to know today at this moment. And then I recall one of our uh, lifetime members and a donor of the band, Dr. Lee Martin, it's within a week that I was, had taken over the leadership role. And he said, we need to have lunch. And he took me out to lunch over here at Calhoun's on the river. And he, he sat there and it was very nice. It was very friendly. And then boom, he came a question like, okay, so what are you going to do now that you're in charge? And I laid out, I, I had at least five goals I wanted to get done. And I think it kind of blew him away because he thought I was just going to be like, you know, in a whirlwind lost. And I knew exactly what I wanted to get done. And the good news is, is uh, it was easy for me to retire, Ronnie, because I had checked all those boxes.
0: Now, the, what were those boxes? I was going to ask you. Yeah. What are those? What are those five things? Those milestones that you set out to achieve that now in your retirement you look back and you know, Brian, some of those involve scholarships, I think, with students, so you might uh, also interject here, but what are those five things that you, and then with your partners here at the university, including the advancement office, were able to achieve that you look back and say, yes, we did it?
1: Well, the number one thing was to to build relationships and, and heal and get things fixed, because, okay. I mean, it was, it was like a forest fire at the time, and and it's like you're being parachuted into the middle of the forest. And, and uh, I that was first and foremost is put the fire out. Number two was uh, our longtime um, band secretary was retiring. She'd already announced it. And uh, that was going to be some big shoes to fill. And I also wanted to make sure that I was always very uh, worried because that position for all that that position was doing uh, was underpaid and I wanted to rewrite the job description to get more money for that position. And I did, and it, and it worked out. And, uh, luckily, uh, we hit a home run when we hired Jennifer Wolfenbarger. She's, she's not missed a beat. And I was, I feel like we left that in a good place too. Um, The third thing was I wanted every student in the band to have a scholarship, Um, and that's where Brian Hardy and I, I mean, from day one when we were started our, our path together, it's like, what can we do to make this happen? And Brian, how many years has that happened now?
2: Let's see. Uh, The first year we did it was 2014. It was your second season. Um, And I remember vividly having a conversation with you about what your goals are and how the advancement office could support those goals. And, um, you know, immediately you said, I remember vividly watching the emotion in your face because you were, it it had always bothered you that Mm -hmm. these kids work so hard. They put in so much effort. But only about one in five at that point received any type of recognition or any type of scholarship. And most often those were all music majors. And And so we got to work and we, Dr. Ryder and I, had some conversations with some key people. And about a year later we were in a position where we could award, you know, it's funny to call it a scholarship because it's um, – these kids we estimated one time put in probably about 500 hours uh, worth of service to the university. And, and you come back that first year, I think uh, the freshman got a hundred bucks or $150. Yeah. We call it a scholarship. Uh, we have raised that up now uh, this past year. Uh, not only is every kid receiving a scholarship it's based on the number of years that they've been in the band. We call it a service scholarship. And so if uh, a senior, for example, uh, this year, we're not 100% sure. It may go up, but uh, at least $1,000 for seniors. Um, and it incentivizes them also to stay in the band. And that's one of the things I think, Dr. Ryder, you have noted over
1: the past several years is you're seeing kids stay in the band longer. Oh, yeah, because uh, when I first came here, there'd probably be an average of 20 to 25 graduating seniors. And we've been over 50 to 60 uh, for like the last four or five years. And so it's, I think it's helping to retain and, uh, you know, that, that was a, a great challenge. But I think, uh, especially when I saw the faces of, like, students like, like color Guard and students that never, ever received anything, and uh, the fact that there's something for everybody, uh, it just kind of leveled the field. And that was one of my goals, and thanks to Brian's hard work and his uh, fundraising efforts and and, you know, there was a lot of – I'm not going to deny it. There's a lot of time Brian and I would spend on meet and greets and and road trips and everything else. And then that kind of leads to the next goal I had is we never had uh, our own practice facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we were always at the mercy. I always said the pride, even though we were big orange, we we're, we're also – like the redheaded stepchild that didn't have a home place, and even probably even Ronnie, when you marched, did you march on the Lower Hudson? Lower Hudson Field, seven fifty
0: a.m. And that was at the mercy of athletics. Absolutely, on the it was the outfield of the baseball field. Then. That's right. Before it was turf. Right. Yeah.
1: And uh, and the thing of it is, and then they went down to Needland Stadium when it was AstroTurf. We were just always moving around. We didn't have a tower. We didn't have storage facilities. And, again, that was one of my goals, and uh, I was able to check that box, too. I mean, that, that was – I'm very proud of that facility. And then uh, the last thing I can say that I didn't really have on my list originally, but I'm very proud of able to just get through this whole pandemic with the band because with COVID and everything, uh, it's something that none of us as band directors ever trained or anybody did – of how to run a marching band with COVID. I was
0: going to ask you that. that I mean, you, we can't have this conversation without you know, talking about how how do you navigate the pandemic, particularly in an organization that uh, relies on wind. <laughs> well,
1: I tell you what, it was a lot of um, uh, it was a lot a lot of day to day, hour to hour. You didn't know. I remember. Um, I remember it was a Wednesday and we had a home game. And on that day, found out that 14 of the 16 baritone players were out with COVID. Oh, wow. It was like a whole line of people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, you you had to be strategic. I remember um, there, there was a time when one of our assistant directors, Fuller Lyon, thought he had COVID. And I thought, whoa, if he gets it, then we all have to go down. I said, this is not – so I'll never forget it. Uh, Coach Fulmer was – at practice that day, and he was the athletic director, and he said to me, he said, uh, and I, I I, made a decision earlier in that day that we were going to rotate, that there was always going to be a band director that was in the wings. Right. And you know, when Coach Fulmer saw what I was doing, he said, you know what? Football team needs to do this too because if if the, all the coaches went down, so they would always have one coach sit out. Right. And that's even like we did that with the games. We, we would... Only two of us would do the games, and so we'd rotate the schedule so that you always had somebody could do it. Uh, even that, if it wouldn't been for that, then Brian Hardy be up there on the ladder doing Rocky. <laughs>
2: well, top. you know, I remember you telling me last year, uh, and you may want to tell the story about because obviously in 2020, you were not able to perform. Right. In 2021, last season, you were on the field, but COVID was running, was probably more of an impact last year than it was in 2020. That's correct. And so I remember you telling me, or I, maybe I ask you, well, what happens if the drum major goes down? And what happens if the assistant drum major gets COVID too? And you tell, talk about what the phone call that you made. Cause I think it was really interesting.
1: Well, you have to remind me about that. Well,
2: um, as I recall, you called, uh, um, our former drum major, Rebecca Percy.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: And so who had graduated, yep. right? Yeah. Was in graduate school. She was in grad school. Yeah. And I think you said, Hey, you, we need you to get over here and uh, get fitted for a, yeah. for a, uh, you know, make sure the, the outfit still works <laughs> or still fits. Cause you may be called upon, which I thought was interesting.
1: What was interesting was, um, that she said, if you need me, I'll be there. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, I would have, I would have probably pulled one of our alumni out like Andrew Vogel <laughs> and just said, you're on. Wow. Uh, you wow. know, but because uh, we have on our alumni council a couple of former drum majors, and right. I, I think that's one thing I always loved about this band is uh, they'd step up to the occasion and do what they needed to do to survive and to excel. and and uh, But, you know, that's how wild that was, getting through that COVID thing. And I'll be honest with you, uh, I was always concerned about, okay, because, like, for example the year that we could only have half the band at the stadium and right. they had to sit six feet apart and all that business, um, the whole band never saw each other. Right, They rehearsed on right. different days. Wow. And I was so worried about the kids saying, like, oh, this is a drag. This is not what I signed up for. And uh, do you know, coming out of COVID, after that year, I was worried all along about recruitment and retention. Yeah. And yeah. you realize that the pride was probably the largest it had ever been in a long, long time, coming out of COVID. And I think part of that was the kids, even when they were in high school, everything was shut down, and they were just hungry for it. They wanted to come back. So that's kind of, the, in a nutshell, kind of where things have been for the last 23 years. So
0: you're here 23 years. Let's step back, look at the past 23 years. I mean, I'm looking at this room where we're producing this podcast, and I see the 1986 Sugar Bowl. And I see other photos in the 1972 Doug Dickey era. So looking back over 23 years, what are those two or three things that stick out as those aha moments as director of the Pride?
1: Well, they range all over the place, really. I mean, I could talk about moments of performances. I could talk about moments with students and accomplishments. Um, You know... um, Probably one of the things that that comes to mind really quick is something that, in fact, this past year at homecoming, when he walked up to me, there's a former student, I won't say any names, but he had come to my office years ago and he said, I'm going to have to drop band. And I said, for what reason? He said, well, they think I have bone cancer in my leg and they're going to probably, they want to amputate my leg. I said, whoa, sit down here. So we started talking. And uh, at that time, uh, one of our former drum majors, um, um, Brian Randolph, was ad- down at the Cancer uh, Research Institute in Atlanta.
2: American Cancer Treatment Centers of yeah, America. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. And he's very big in the cancer research and all that. And uh, I called Brian up on the phone. I said, Is there any way you can come to Knoxville and talk to this young man before he makes a rash decision? And Brian took him aside, and he spent over an hour and a half. And he said, uh, "You know, let's let's look back at, at all this stuff again." And he said he gave him all his advice, and you know, and told him um, what he would suggest. And uh, that young man never lost his leg. Awesome. He uh, and he was marching with the band this year. He came up and uh, hugged me and cried. And that's stuff like that. It's more important than, you know. uh, I mean, there's a lot of things we've done, but that one there. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. So on a more personal
0: note, I understand you're an avid fisherman. Where do you like to fish? And what's your favorite fish story?
1: Well, you know, fishermen kind of brag and then they lie. <laughs> um, I love to fish. Uh, started at an early age. My grandfather would take me fishing. Um, for over 25 years, um, there's a, a group of us. There were four of us that we all grew up together. One of them is my close friend that went on to become an IndyCar racer. Um, we would go to... Nestor Falls, Canada, to Lake of the Woods, and that was like, that's a long haul because, I mean, you have to go up through International Falls and mm. and, and go into Canada, and, um, uh, you know, you just catch fish like crazy, and then, um, you know, I just, I've, I've got a boat, and uh, in fact, the other day, one of my good friends, Bill Williams, called, and he says, hey, uh, we need to go fishing, and so, you know, unfortunately, and I hate to say this, but a lot of my great Close friends that were my fishing buddies have all passed on. Right, and so I I don't know if I need to just find some younger guys to go fishing, or <laughs> <laughs> I, I just you know I they I lot Gary White who I talked about earlier who was the associate AD with right. Doug Dickey he right. was my close fishing friend and mm. and uh, it's just uh, it's a passion uh, and what I always loved about it we kind of had a rule that when you're on the boat you weren't allowed to take your cell phone out. So you had to kind of disengage and and just kind of get grounded. So uh, I love to fish and there's no better place to live than here with all the lakes around here to fish. And uh, we've, we've done trout fishing over on the Caney Fork and, and all sorts of things, but I love to fish. There's no doubt about it.
0: So you also have a love for racing. I understand.
1: Uh, And maybe even a
0: hobby owner of a sprint car. Fisherman, racing, tell us about that.
1: Yeah, well, I had to laugh because there's a good friend of mine. uh, He's he's up in Indianapolis, and he owns uh, Jetstar Fuel, which provides uh, aviation fuel for major airports all around the country. And I've known him for over 30 years. And when I first bought a race car, he called me on the phone. He says, hey, I thought you had a doctorate. Aren't you supposed to be educated? (laughs) What in the world are you buying a race car for? It's um, Racing has been my passion. I grew up around it. Mm -hmm. I I raced go-karts when I was a kid. Uh, My first driving experience in an actual real car was a stock car and actually lied about my age. I was 14 years old and I drove for a gentleman. He was frustrated. He owned a car. And I had to lie just to get into the pits, and he would kind of, you know, he, he'd say, "He's he's eighteen, he's all right," and and they never questioned it. I, I don't know what would have happened if they'd have drug me off to the hospital or something. But I was only fourteen. Wow. And then I bought a stock car when I was sixteen, and I worked on it and drove it, and uh, and then and then just got the itch to move and go faster. And sprint cars, if, if you don't know what a sprint car is, it's open wheel and uh, you go, there's over 700 horsepower and you go over 120 miles an hour. Wow. it's like driving on ice, 120 miles an hour, you're going sideways and you're out of control. And somebody said to me one time, and said, what's it feel like to, to drive that thing? I said, you got to feel like you want to take a ride in the ambulance. And if, if, if you don't want to take a ride in the ambulance, don't get in it. Dr. Ryder, you must've really been at home for the
0: battle of Bristol. That must've been really excited for you. Exciting for you.
1: I, I loved it. You know, uh, I'll I tell you, I did a podcast. Um, I think it was last year with my close friend, Dr. Jerry punch, who was, you know, he did, uh, uh, NASCAR races and then IndyCar races. And mm-hmm. he's very close friends with like Dale Earnhardt and people like that. And we did a podcast, uh, it was up from the Midwest. Um, I think it was up around Michigan or Ohio. And, and when we did that podcast, you know, people were asking like, how in the world did he, we ever meet, you know, like, and I had to laugh. Like somebody said, like, how could a band director, uh, cause I drove too, you know, and I was mm-hmm. a driver. I got out of the seat because, um, I got, in a wicked crash, and about killed me to tell you the truth. My son was there with me, and it knocked me out, and it destroyed the car. And my son was sitting next to my buddy; he was the IndyCar car dra- driver. And my son said, "Should I go down there?" Because I was slumped over, knocked out. Oh wow! And they thought it had killed me. Oh wow! And and my and my fr- my friend told my son, "Don't go down there." They thought it was bad. And then when I started coming to, and I. Started getting myself back together, but it it caused some things. You know, I lost use of. I, I'm totally numb on my, on three fingers on each hand because it did some nerve damage in my neck. And uh, the doctors told me if I would continue driving and we crash again, it would probably put me in a wheelchair. So my wife said, "Okay, you have but, a choice. You either own it and work on it, or or sell it." And so. I, I think that was smarter than getting a divorce. And That's so, awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> so, so, so you retired in 2022. Yes.
0: And uh, tell us in closing here, what are your plans for retirement? And what are those two or three things of advice do you have for Dr. Michael Stewart, who's your successor as director of band?
1: Well, the first thing uh, to answer the first part of that question is what do I plan to do uh, in fact, here a couple weeks ago, Brian and I had lunch, and I said, "Come on, I'm going to show you my race car." And uh, I, I was working on it again yesterday. I'm about ready to go out racing again, and and uh, I've got uh, I've got an engine builder building a new motor for me. So there goes half of my inheritance for the kids. But uh, <laughs> but uh, and then the other thing is here. A couple of weeks ago, our two grandchildren spent the week with us. And uh, they're at that perfect age right now. My grandson's nine and my granddaughter's seven. And, you know, my wife and I both wanted to spend quality time with them because realizing when they're 16, they're not going to hang with their grandparents. You know, (laughs) they're going to be out with their friends. And so right now they enjoy our, you know, our time together. And the last part of your question, what advice would I give Mike Stewart. Um, I'm, I'm probably going to say the same thing that Dr. Julian told me when I took over as the director of the Pride. Number one is make friendships across mm-hmm. campus, mm-hmm. build friendships. Um, number two, I would say is, you know, remember the tradition of Tennessee. I remember when Coach Fulmer was here as AD, you know, we were trying to work with Coach Pruitt at the time, uh, about embracing the Tennessee traditions. You know, I've been here through a lot of coach changes, a lot of athletic directors. I was thinking about this last night, Ronnie. And when Dr. Julian was here for over three decades, I think he dealt with two athletic directors, Coach Woodruff and Coach Dickey. Mm-hmm. That was it. Mm-hmm. He dealt with uh, probably two or three coaches mm-hmm. at the most. Mm-hmm. And then he dealt with uh, two presidents. Mm-hmm. That's it. Right. And, uh, Andy Hilt, Joe Johnson, Ed Bowling. Yeah. yeah. Well, three. And, mm-hmm. and the thing of it is, uh, I'm going to tell you a funny story about Dr. Johnson. He, uh, was retired and they had him over here at Andy Holt tower as sort of a, you know, I advisory sort of position. And he called me on the phone one day personally. And he said, uh, can I come over to your office? I want to talk to you. Sure. At that time, Dr. Johnson was walking with a walker, and he, I had, at that time, Judy Dooley was the secretary, and I said, Judy, would you go down and help him get get up, when he comes in, help him in? And so she brought him up the elevator and everything, and he comes to the office and sits down. And he says, um, a friend of mine who's very influential to campus has a great idea about redoing how the band opens the T for pregame. And I sat, and they had all these fancy diagrams and everything. I sat, and I, I listened to everything Dr. Johnson said, and Dr. Johnson said, well, I promised him I would come and meet with you and share this with you. He says, what are your thoughts? I said, well, Dr. Johnson, I said, I can tell you right now, I could do that. To appease that person. But let me tell you what, you're going to have to come over and help me put the for sale sign in front of my yard, my house, because <laughs> I'll be out of a job. And, you know, it was impressed upon me when I first interviewed here with coach Dickey. He said, uh, you know, we have something here at Tennessee called tradition. Mm. He said, you need to embrace it. Absolutely. And so my advice to Dr. Stewart would be embrace the tradition. Don't, you know, we live in a time where everybody thinks, throw it out, let's start over. And I just never bought into that. I think awesome. I, 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 I wanted it to be where everybody, I don't care if it's when you marched in the band or or other people marched in the band, they come back and say, We're, that's the that's our legacy. Awesome. Rather than say, like, you know, I, I see people want to come in and throw everything out mm-hmm. and, and, like, put their stamp on it. and they're, they're, Like, this is mine. Right. And I just, I think that's, my advice is don't try to make it yours. Just, just make it Tennessee. Right, right. A- and, uh, and, uh, embrace the students. I mean, um, probably if I made a, if I did anything wrong is, you know, I didn't play the political games on campus because I would always go to bat for the students Absolutely. if it meant getting more meal money or you know, the travel conditions, or hotels, or whatever. I wanted the best for them because they deserve it. And uh, I know Dr. Julian did that, too, in his era. That he, I remember one time he told me that they wanted to bust the band to Houston, Texas, and he, he hung up on, on Coach Woodruff <laughs> on the phone. He says, they're not cattle. You're not shipping them down there in, in a truck. And he just slammed the phone down, and it was like minutes later. Coach Woodruff said, "Okay, we'll fly you." <laughs> but I mean, um, you know, there's a lot of people that would put themselves first, and and uh, you know, I I think you have to be very humble about it. Awesome. And 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 take care of the students. And uh, I was very honored at my final concert. I was very honored on multi levels. I had so many people. From earlier paths in my life, I'm talking about people that I taught with, people that were colleagues in Ohio as high school band directors. I had one man that came back out of a stroke, and his whole ambition was to make it to my concert. Oh, wow. He had to learn to walk again. Wow. And he he did so, and he came to the concert. And then um, to be honored by the alumni council and various donors who stepped up and they wanted to do something to honor me. And they knew how important fundraising and scholarships were right. that they endowed a scholarship. And that's the other thing. I have to thank Brian about one of my visions that helped me is we. I wanted to raise the bar as far as the number of endowed scholarships where the money would just be there mm-hmm. for the future. And uh, I can't remember the number. They whipped it out. It was like we've doubled the amount.
2: Yeah, more than doubled since uh, you took over. I think we went from 22 to, I think now we're sitting at 47. Yeah. Um, so a, a big, big change, big change.
1: And uh, that's, you know, I, I said I felt really good about retiring, Ronnie, because I felt like I'd, you know, with the facilities, with the scholarships, with everything, instruments, everything, uh, it was a job ready for somebody to walk in and, and, and and they weren't walking in like hopefully not like I did when I was like go put the forest fire out and and uh, I I I think that's something I felt good about I feel I felt like the old Boy Scout motto or Boy Scout motto where you leave it better than you found it and that's, that's awesome what I did well let me tell you as
0: an alum uh, of the band myself graduated in 1978 uh, four years in the band under Dr Julian. Uh, I love Tennessee traditions, and I want to compliment you for your leadership over the past 23 years. Thank you for that and, and let you know that it's noticed how much you uh, did some new things but tried to really embrace the students and embrace the traditions of Tennessee. You know, so much of what we're about here and around the ladder is telling story. And thank you for today, and thank you for the opportunity to hear your stories Um, This is the inaugural uh, production of Around the Ladder, and it's been fun learning from you. Uh, You were the guest that we wanted to start with first because you've been so instrumental over the past uh, 23 years. We also want to thank Brian, uh, Brian Hardy and the Advancement Office for, Brian, all you've done, uh, the scholarships and the retention of students. I know when you get to be a junior or senior at Tennessee and you're focused on your major and you're not a music major, uh, sometimes the band may not be your highest priority, but I think we've we've raised the bar there yeah. uh, through our scholarships, and that's great. Uh, we also want to thank uh, producer Jackson Williams, uh, Benny Smith, General Manager of WTK Radio, and the private Healthland Band Alumni Council, who, without their support, we wouldn't be doing this. So, uh, closing comments, Doctor Ryder Brian.
1: Well, I was. Uh, when you said uh, you wanted to have me on first, I always thought you're supposed to save the best for last, but <laughs> I, I think you just want to get me out of here. So, Benny, I'll, I want to thank you for I'll that. I feel another podcast coming on, uh, Dr. Ryder. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could tell you a lot of stories, but uh, but the bottom line is it was my pleasure to be here and, you know, um, I really love this university. I love the pride of the Southland Band it, it's it's more than love. It's it's a desire that's – anybody that's marching this band, you know. I mean, um, it, it, when we would have homecoming every year, it's just the, the feeling when you're in that band room with all the alums mm. coming back. You can't recreate that. And I got it, chill bumps right now. I know. Yeah. You just can't yeah. recreate that. And I always loved that time. And uh, there's been a, a lot of great milestones during my tenure here, like the 150th celebration and uh, the battle at Bristol was something that, you know, you're never going to forget with that many people. And, um, you know, I had, I just had a great career here. And, you know, I, I taught for 38 years total and and uh, with the grandchildren and stuff. And, and uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say that COVID didn't add to it a little bit, too, because, mm-hmm. It, it was a very trying time, but my wife and I had both planned to retire. You know, we're in our 60s, and we, we wanted to enjoy our life. And uh, so I, I appreciate the honor to be here today, and I want to thank you for all your work. And again, I want to publicly thank Brian Hardy for all that he did during my tenure here because we worked together, and we, we checked the boxes, and uh, I wish the best for Dr. Stewart.
2: Well, thank you, Dr. Ryder. It's been a, it's been an honor, uh, as well. And, you know, when you've got, uh, when you got a good product to sell and to promote, it makes, uh, it makes things easier. And, you know, of all the areas that I've worked with over my 17 years here at UT, uh, working with the Pride of the Southland is without question, uh, the highlight. And it's because not only the passion that the fan base, and that the alumni base have for this program. But when you go to a practice, Ronnie, when you see how hard those kids work and they're doing it, they're putting on that uniform. And when they put on that uniform, they're representing not only themselves, not only their teammates, not only the university, they're representing the state of Tennessee. And that band is the band of the state of Tennessee. There is no question and once you absorb that and understand the magnitude of of 150 now three 153 years of tradition It's a special thing, and uh, so thank you for allowing me to be a part of it. Ronnie, thank you for uh, leading the charge on putting this podcast together. Uh, We're going to have, I think, some exciting um, guests in the future, and uh, I think our— I uh, wasn't
1: exciting enough.
2: Well, more exciting (laughs) or as exciting (laughs) uh, in the future, Um, and this is going to be a fun football season, and look forward to peeling the curtain back a little bit more with the Pride of Southland. Great. When I think of the
0: Proud of the Southland Band, I think of one thing. I think of passion, and I really appreciate, Brian, your passion for excellence. Dr. Ryder, your passion for excellence and tradition over the past years. And ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed this edition of Around the Ladder and that you'll stay tuned for more editions in the future. We appreciate you listening in, and we look forward to you joining us again soon. We'll be Around the Ladder.